Hi, I'm Dave. And I'm Paul. And we're going to challenge you to transform your financial future through the principles of the most profitable business in the world, banking. We believe everyone should be involved in two businesses, the business that you're in and the banking business. Everyday people can replicate what bankers have been doing for centuries to leverage capital and build wealth through private lending. Join us as we uncover the truths about money, expose lies and myths, and flip conventional financial advice on its head. Here we go. Hey, Paul, what's going on, buddy? Not much, man. Just uh, playing the uh, playing Mr. Mom this week, Tammy's TDY. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you're running everybody every which way, getting them ready for school. Yeah, that's right. Well, I do that. I do that anyway because she goes to work before they go to school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I uh, I had a fun day. Got all three boys off to school, and then two hours later, got a call from one. Wanted me to come pick him up. He wasn't feeling good. Another hour later, got a call from another one. Had to go pick him up. Um. So. <laughs> so I made get some I of don't the know. spring crud. I used to get strep throat every every year when I was a little kid around this time, like the spring. Yeah, you know what's my funny? mom would be like, "Did you drink out of the Did you drink out of the water fountain at school?" And I was like, "Yeah, out of the bubbler." Isn't that what you called it? The the bubbler. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny. Kids don't ever get sick in the summertime. Weird. Strange. Yeah, like that well, shell Silverstein uh, poem. Let's hope they feel better. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So, well, at least I, we won't be going to baseball practice tonight. So I guess I have a little more time this evening. Yeah, we blew so, it off yesterday, actually. Yeah. It I mean, if you come home, weekend, so I was like. Yeah. If you come home sick, you don't get to play sports that afternoon. That's Sorry. right. Yep. Yeah. Well, all right, man. So. Hey, here's a question. Let's start with the question that a, a lot of people have been talking about, and I'm sure everybody has probably given some thought to, like all this, all this fear mongering in the media about the the devaluation of the dollar, the dollar losing its reserve currency status, and the you know the oil currency and all of that throughout the world. What happens? Uh, and I'm sure you've re- received this question many times, but. Hey, what happens if if the dollar implodes, like the devaluation of the dollar? Like what what then? How does that affect my life insurance policy? More so than it's already been devalued in the last like hundred years or right. So maybe we can get rid of that last one percent, right? It's been <laughs> devalued at ninety-nine percent uh in the last hundred yeah. years. So let's let's go that full all the way. So yeah completely wiped out what happens well you know aside from the dollar not having any value outside of that it's a medium of exchange a fiat currency that i'm forced to use and you have to take it from me right it's legal tenor for all debts public and private right it says it right on there in little black letters yeah um if the dollar vanishes from existence as we know it right now there's going to be some other medium of exchange, whatever, maybe they'll call it the, I can't say it. I was going to say what I said earlier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that'd be, that'd be too much for some yeah. people probably, but yeah, maybe, but maybe there's going to be this transitory currency or see, I snuck it in there. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I'm not, it's not something I, 
I think about, to be honest with you, um, I, you know, the U S dollar is a fiat currency, just like all the other fiat currencies out there. Everyone uses something. The Canadians have their stuff. The British have the pound. The Russians have their rubles. Right. There's a bunch of dinar in the Middle East, right? Of varying types. Um, somehow the Jordanian dinar was worth more than the dollar when I was there for six months. I, it was bizarre to me. I was like, anyway. Um, so anyway, I, I'll be honest with you. I think it's all just for, for clicks and ratings. And is it something to be aware of what's going on? Sure. But is it something to, to really worry about your life insurance policy and how it's, you know, it's valued in dollars. Everything's valued in dollars. Everything that you own, everything that you pay for. Right. Um, so no, I'm not worried about it. Right. So what, I mean, the, the same question, I would just turn it back to you. Oh, what happens to your life insurance policy? Well, what happens to your house? Why don't you tell me what's going to happen to your house if the dollar collapses? It, are you going to lose your house? Is it going to disappear from you overnight? Like there's a difference in currency and wealth. They are not the same thing, right? I think that's what we're that's talking right. about here. So you can get rid of the currency. The wealth remains. Yes. And it everything just becomes, gets- some, It just becomes something else. Right. Exactly. So I, I think at you know, one point, uh, I want to say during the Civil War, there was you know, multiple currencies being used at the exact same time. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I don't know if it was Henry Hazlitt or it might have been in The Creature from Jekyll Island. I'm trying to remember what book, but he he went over kind of a history of paper money and and talked about different things and how in the in the colonial times, uh, you know, Massachusetts was doing this, Rhode Island was doing this, and they were printing tons of fiat currency, and it was, right, of course, disaster. Right, inflation was through the roof. Um, anyway, but the whole point was a, a kind of a discussion around sound money, right? Money that's backed by a precious metal, and you know, in this case, gold, yeah, uh, or maybe even silver, right? Um, but it was just an interesting discussion, but it's. Again, it's just a discussion of currency. What are we using as a medium to affect trade efficiently? Yeah. So, you know, and kind of along the same lines is the world reserve currency. People are afraid that oh, China's going to take mm -hmm. over that or whatever. I, I think the only reason the US is the world reserve currency is because we're probably the most, believe it or not, trustworthy government worldwide. Who's going to trust China? As, <laughs> Pretty sad, isn't it? As, it really is, right? But who's going to trust China as, you know, the the world reserve currency? Who runs um, the world? It's the big bankers. Um, do they really want things to, yep. to change up like that? Um, I mean, they make a lot of money on uh, the currency exchange. That's you know, right. When, when everything's bought in the dollar. So, all right. <clears throat> Cool. Well, speaking of actual dollars and stuff, let's talk. Let's talk interest rates. So this will probably be a, a little bit shorter of an episode because I think we're a little short on time. But um, I was talking to somebody today, and he actually brought up, you know, the whole interest. Like he couldn't believe when he read Nelson's "The Problem," page seventeen, in becoming your own banker. Uh, Nelson talks yeah. about what's the problem. The problem is the volume of interest that we pay annually, like over our lifetime, the average, the average American, um, and how 
all this money is leaving our control that's going to interest paying some some other bank right and how can we capture some of that uh eventually hopefully all of that back into our own economic system um, right so it was pretty pretty eye-opening nelson says we're just going to round up for easy math roughly 35 percent of every dollar you like the leaves your hands i think he said after tax dollars goes towards the interest disposable yep yeah goes towards yeah. interest which blows your mind you're like there's no way i pay that much in interest right you know it i see this i see this a lot on these different facebook groups that I've often talked about in almost every single post that uh, that pops up in my feed is about some sort of borrowing, you know, lending question or financing question, whatever you want to call it. And it's, uh, you know, it's insane. They have, you know, most people have no idea because they've never taken the time to just do the simple, just do the math. Look at your amortization schedule and your 30-year mortgage that you just signed for. I don't care what the interest rate is. It's at two and a quarter or six and a quarter. Doesn't matter. The volume of interest over 30 years is, is massive. Dave and I were just looking at my um, my most recent uh, acquisition here for our retirement land, and right there in black and white, total interest percentage, if I let this thing go 20 years, is 99.19%. <laughs> Finance charge, $304,000, right? It, it just, it's just insane, yeah. uh, the, the volume of interest. Um, so Na Nelson talked about creating a... You're fighting a headwind. You know, we're both pilots. A headwind is great when you're taking off. You need it. You more so than than me, but we prefer a headwind as well, obviously. Yeah. Um, and, and helicopters, same principles. Uh, but once I'm airborne and I'm getting, I want to go quicker to where I'm headed, I would like a tailwind, right? right? Same, same thing with you. And you're flying across the Atlantic. I hope, you know, you likely had a tailwind. Okay. It usually depends on which direction you're going. So going over. Uh, yeah, I all I remember is those are the longest flights of my life. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, because yeah, you guys cruise they're, at what? They're two, terrible. Two two fifty. <laughs> yeah, indicated. Yeah, so ground speed yeah. could be a lot more than that, especially if you have yeah. a tailwind. Right, so if you have a hundred knot tailwind, that means you're moving a hundred knots faster over the ground. Um, but. What a major headwind for us in life financially is the interest we pay. So you were just talking about the amortization. I got a, uh, I love this calculator. It's called Easy Calculator and it's a financial calculator app. Um, download it. It's got everything you need on there, but I always use the loan interest one. And uh, I just typed in, you know, a $500,000 home at, what did I say? 6% over 30 years. So a 30-year mortgage, 6% on a $500,000 home. Um, <clears throat> the monthly payment is $2,997. Okay. But let's look at the, and people understand that, oh, I'm, well, I'm paying, I'm paying, what did I say? 6%? I'm paying 6% uh, annually. No, you're not. You're paying, <laughs> you're paying probably something like 85% annually for the first several years because it shows the very first payment. So you, you look at the amortization table on your, your documents, your mortgage documents, the payment amount, $2,997. Interest, $2,500 going towards interest, $497 going towards principal. That's a one to five ratio of principal to interest. You're paying five more times yeah. in interest than you're paying in principal. 
like for the first several years and it changes a little bit every month. Right. But only by like $3 a month. So that's right. So after five years and and what's the typical home ownership? I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, uh, you know, being in the military, maybe that skews things, but I think I've owned nine or 10 homes, uh, since, since 2010, maybe not own that many, maybe seven since 2010 or so. It's like you're moving every three years, every two and a half years in the military. The typical American maybe moves every five to seven years or refinances and you start all the way back at the beginning. That's right. Yeah. Nelson brings that up, right? He talks, we're talking about page, you know, 17, 17, 18 here. And, uh, you know, don't forget closing costs, Dave, right? That adds to the, that adds to the already horrible you know, 85% interest in the first five years or 87%, whatever it comes out to based on your specific situation, plus closing cost. You know, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just awful. And that's, that's the problem, right? That is the headwind that Nelson is talking about. And he says, even, you know, everyone we ever talk about, oh, I'm, I'm investing 10% in my 401k or 15% or 5%, whatever, whatever it is, right? They're folk. They're so focused on that relative, relatively small amount of money or percentage of their income, but they're ignoring. And he says this in the book, folks. So again, read read this part of the book. The problem. They're ignoring the other thirty four and a half cents out of every dollar that is going to other people's banks, as as you stated earlier. And if you can reverse that situation and start focusing on that other 34 and a half cents, you're going to create a perpetual tailwind in your financial life. And you'll life will, will become much more profitable because of that. Now, can you recapture all of it? No, but you can recapture a lot of it by right. doing IBC. Yeah. Imagine if that $2,997 payment was going directly towards the principal every single month. How quickly would right. you would you knock that down, um, as opposed to, you know, the majority of it going towards interest? Um, yeah, and there is a way to yeah. You're right, not recapture all of it because you're paying interest to the insurance company when you borrow their money. That's but right. the amount you're going to pay over time is significantly less. And I haven't done the math. I think it'd be cool. You know, uh, I I like to get on a spreadsheet every once in a while. Not my favorite thing in the world, but um, you can, yeah, you can map care. that out. You can map that out. Yeah. You know, if you're paying 5.7% to the insurance company on a $500,000 cash loan, um, your total volume of interest over that, that is, is going to be so significantly less. Um, yeah. And no, oh, by the way, this bears repeating, right? You're paying interest to a company that you're part owner of because it's a mutual life insurance company. And as a policy owner, you get to share in the divisible surplus, aka the the dividend, on top of the guaranteed growth of your policy. Um, so it, pus- it just puts you in such a, a powerful position uh, from a borrowing standpoint, from a control standpoint. And you know, you you get to kind of make what the banker was making on you. Now, people are like, "Well, I'm not going to be able to, you know, finance my house." Rather, than, well, that's true. It's going right. to take, you know, he says it in the book again, twenty years to create a system to meet your needs. 
at yep. least 20 years, the average, the average person. So think long range, don't be afraid to capitalize. And when, when 20 years comes around, if you've properly capitalized, maybe you'll be able to do this and take, and take back control that's been taken from you because you're just doing things like everybody else is because you haven't been taught this. Why haven't you been taught this? Well, not to be conspiratorial, but it's all by design. Oh, for they sure. I don't want you to know you can do this. Yep. Oh, and by the way, every payment you make back is available for you to borrow again. If and when That's you right. need it, whenever you need it. So instead of having to go to the bank and beg for a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, and hopefully get approved uh, and have access to maybe 80% yeah. of the equity that you've built, um, you have access to all of the equity that you built in your policy uh, at a moment's notice with no underwriting whatsoever. Yeah, it, that baffles some people that are early in the process, doesn't it, Dave? When they're like, well, you know, what what paperwork do I have to do to, to get a policy loan? Like, well, there is no paperwork. I do it from, let me show you. I'll just log in on my phone and show them. I can do it in, you know, 48 seconds and request whatever, you know, whatever equity is available, right? So it's super easy. I can't illustrate that and how, how awesome that is or but my time, I can tell you my time and Dave's time and our time is extremely limited, right? I'm going to have to get off this, 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 uh, recording here in a few minutes to go get my kids. But, you know, time is, is precious and every moment counts. I like the 70 documents that I had to send to a mortgage underwriter, which is absolutely ridiculous. Right. Um, to make sure I'm not committing fraud or make sure I can make the payment or I'm not really sure what it's for at this point. Um, I, I hate that. You know, and then they want to look at your bank accounts and say, oh, where, where did this money come from? Oh, where <laughs> did that? Like, right. Yeah, And you know what else? <clears throat> Anybody who's got all their mortgage paperwork, I challenge you, go find that, go dig it up. And guess what else you do when you sign that paperwork? You actually sign <laughs> away your fifth and 14th constitutional amendment rights. It's in there in black and white. You're saying you're giving up your fifth amendment right and your 14th amendment right when you sign that paperwork. It's it's unreal that they sneak that in. And all and I never knew that. And just tell a couple of weeks ago, somebody pointed that out to me and I went and looked at some paperwork I had. And I was like, well, I'll be darned. It's right there in black and white. I signed away my fifth and 14th constitutional amendment What's rights. What's the fifth? Plead the fifth. Fifth. Yeah. You know, so it's you, just, can't, you can't self-incriminate. I can't. Right. It it gives you the ability to not self-incriminate. So you sign that away. It, Interesting. This is that I'm was, getting into I a just, lot of different you know yeah. the paths that we're going down and yeah. and that stuff comes to light like the 5th and the 14th are very important. Yes. Um and uh, they've caused a lot of damage you know, the the 14th to to our constitutional rights. Um, yeah, no question. As as Americans. So, but anyway, I thought that was so crazy. I was like, there's no way I signed away some constitutional rights. And sure enough, absolutely did. It's in there. So hopefully my asking you about what the fifth was came as the joke I intended it to be. (laughs) 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 Thought my delivery was. Yeah. Well, your delivery is off. So I didn't catch it or I would have played along and said, I'm going to invoke my fifth amendment right and uh, refrain from answering. What was the one where we uh, don't have to house soldiers? 
Oh, quartering? Yeah, quartering. I have no idea. The th- had to be one third? of the early ones, right? Yeah, it was it, no, was it, it was in the Bill of Rights sure. or yeah. Yeah, it's in the Bill of Rights. Right. So the sixth, maybe it was a sixth. Yeah. I only I only care about the first two. <laughs> and the tenth. States' rights. Right. Anyway. Yeah, thank God for that, because um oh, you know, oh my god. So you can still vote with your feet. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um but anyway. Yeah. So we just wanted to bring that problem to light, right? Because if you don't know the problem, the solution doesn't matter. As Nelson I think says. James says that, doesn't he? Well, I'm sure James says that too. But James also like says him. the problem is the problem. The premium is a solution. So if you have significant premium, eventually you're going to have the solution at your disposal. Yeah. You know, when I have the discussion of the problem, obviously I, I go with what Nelson has in the book as the problem. There's so much, and he just, most of what Nelson talks about in this book is a part of the the overall problem, not just paying interest to other people's banks, but there's a problem. You know, he talks about the education system. What's the value oh, yeah. of a college degree? He talks about, um, gosh, what else? I mean, he talks about so many different things that kind of encompass for me the entire the entire problem, right? Not just paying interest to other people's banks, but uh, so that's why this book is super important and um, you know critical that you read it multiple times. I told someone the other day, hey, read it again and then read it again, please. Yeah, and then buy a second copy to give away. Yeah. And then tell that person. Don't give to away read your own copy, away. though. Don't give away your original. You got to keep that one forever. You know that's got yeah, all mine's your notes been in it. Bitten by my dog and mm. got all my original underlines in it and stuff. So yeah. But anyway, I like these questions I put in here. I read these questions now, and I'm like, oh, I guess I did ask a question like that right at the beginning, didn't I? And now I'm like, why did I even question that? But it helped. It's a good reminder to me of where I was in the journey. Right away, yeah. right at the beginning. This is my page three, so it's it's fairly well underlined. I just held it up for the camera, but uh, I liked this. I wrote common sense here. There is no such thing as having too much money in the bank. Wealth must reside somewhere. What better place to have it reside than here? Yep. And, you know, I was listening to John uh, today on uh, one of their episodes, and, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are confusing. They confuse IBC. They want to show me the numbers and what's the internal rate of return and you know all, the same stuff that we hear all the time, right? And it's like ah, oh, they just they're that stuff's mildly interesting. It's not unimportant, but you're missing all this material. You're you're missing the point. And he yeah. tells you like this is not an investment. It's not about rates of return. Um, go back and read that again. So. Um, but again, yep, the problem is a problem. The premium is the solution. And uh, the goal should be, folks, as you expand and make more money and become more productive and more independent of the banks is to pay more and more premium, not less. So find yourself an IBC practitioner, authorized Nelson Nash Institute practitioner, and figure out what your system is going to look like. Yeah, and if you've just got one policy you got five years ago and – you think, oh, I'm doing IBC now. Circumstances have changed. If you're not keeping up with them, you're probably not really doing IBC like you should. You know, if you're right. you're making a lot more money than you were five years ago, hopefully that's the case. Uh, it's time to reevaluate your system. So yep. 
do yeah. some expansion. Absolutely. All right, man. I'll let you get off and uh, get the kids. So, hey, until next time, control your capital. Or somebody else will. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to have a conversation with us to see how you can become your own banker, or if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to tackle on a future episode, please send us an email to David and Paul at the ibcguys.com. And subscribe and leave us a review if you're on Apple. Follow and leave us a five-star review if you're on Spotify. And please share this with your friends. We'll see you next week.